I'm Nick Andrews, and this is Game Theory, our podcast about strategy, competition, and decision-making. In this episode, my brother and I discuss one of our favorite pastimes growing up. If you happen to be in Sweetwater County, Wyoming in 1997 to 1999, in an entertainment store in a small mall in Rock Springs, you might have seen my brother and I cross-legged on a floor with about a dozen close friends playing a trading card game. That game was Pokemon. Fast forward more than 20 years. Those cards we told our parents would be worth money, but were really just a headache. They are worth money. In spring of 2021, a collection of Pokemon cards of just about 30 or so sold for more than a quarter million dollars. And that's just the beginning. In this episode of Game Theory, Chris and I discuss our collection, our hobby, how the cards became so expensive, and what's on the horizon for Pokemon. Is it better to collect or is it better to play? And welcome to episode 11 of Game Theory. I am Nick. I am Chris. Nick, I'm pretty excited about our conversation today. It's taken me right down memory lane. Yeah. No question. I think that some of the most fun Saturdays uh, we had growing up, uh, obviously a lot of sports stuff. We did a lot of sports when we weren't doing sports. sports. And even when we were doing sports, sometimes we would sneak away to the White Mountain Mall in Sweetwater County. Mm-hmm. And then, or what was it? The other mall, the two, there are two malls. Uh, I think you're thinking of the Plaza way. Mall. The Plaza Mall. That's right. Then it moved to the Plaza Mall. We would play Pokemon cards. Uh, we traded, we collected, we competed. It was incredible. And Pokemon is in a revolutionary moment. If you haven't been paying attention to social media, the cards are selling for astronomical sums. People are playing. It's got momentum again. Yeah, I'd like to apologize to our parents for this one. We sunk an unreasonable amount of time, effort, uh, and their money into this. Yeah. And uh, we're bringing it back just when they thought they killed it. It's revived. It's back. So and I, I've told this to people in my personal life, including my wife. Like, of course, you learn lessons playing sports. I would argue that the lessons that you learn playing Pokemon cards are actually there are more of them. I learned a lot more about sportsmanship, oh, yeah. competition. I learned about the stock market. It's more in Magic the Gathering that I learned about the stock market. But we'll talk about that when we because the, the game theory part of this, Chris, is the fact that this this crap is worth so much money, and for the most part, the money that it's worth has nothing to do with gameplay and everything to do with nostalgic millennials who just want to own cool stuff. Yeah, that's exactly right. The thing with Pokemon is that despite what we exposed our parents to, it's more than a card game. It's an entire franchise, and I think it's pretty common knowledge among at least our generation and and, and those who were uh, young enough to remember the glory days when Pokemon was still fresh and exploring new uh, avenues like TV shows and video games and cards. and So now it's all over the place, and I thought it would be kind of cool for us to step back and check out the history of Pokemon just from a high level and see how it got from where it began to the crazy resurgence it's having today. Okay, that sounds good because I, I've, for me, the resurgence, I've seen there are a bunch of new cards and I don't really care about them. But I very, very specifically remember going into the Pomida store and looking at this guy that would tell me the best, the top five or top ten most powerful Pokemon cards and why your deck had to have these. So I, I like kind of going down memory lane a bit. Yeah, well, okay, so let's begin at the beginning, I guess. 
so Pokemon is actually a compound word, I guess. Uh, it's It stands for Pocket Monsters, which is the, its original name in Japanese. Uh, so the franchise is rooted all the way back in a 1980s Japanese gaming magazine called Game Freak. Uh, oh. And Pokemon was started by a guy named Satoshi Tajiri. And then he later collaborated with a world-class illustrator, Ken Sujimori, who had more influence on me than the likes of Van Gogh. Uh, so Tajiri was a writer. He kind of came up with a lot of the, the lore, so to speak, and he conceptualized the idea. And then Ken Sujimori put it onto paper, which really I think is its, its primary value. But the thing about the origin is that these guys realized pretty early on that, okay, it's the 1980s. The arcade scene is here, but it's not exactly on a high speed trajectory into the future. So, Things are going to change, and we need to adapt this franchise to it if we're going to keep up. And right. so they worked with Nintendo. Well, they worked for Nintendo. And they eventually came up with games for the handheld uh, for handheld video game consoles, and uh, they ended up putting out a really successful franchise of Game Boy games. Yep. I recall. I recall. I mean, there were, there were colors, right? Was it red and blue? Is that the, were those the first ones? Yeah, well, actually, so red and green were the first in Japanese. Gotcha. Uh, and, gotcha. and one of the trends that you'll see with Pokemon throughout the history of the franchise is that things that get released in the U.S. usually have been released in Japan for several months or in some cases a year. Okay. Uh, and actually, that goes all the way back to the very beginning. So the debut of the Pokemon franchise in the form of the Game Boy games was February 26th, 1996. Nick, Mm -hmm. Pokemon is 25 years old. 25. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, 25. 25. So the the idea behind the games when they originally conceptualized them was kind of similar to a lot of games that Nintendo would develop later on, which is where you're like a guy, like a kid. Yep. And you wander through this world and you have a fun time playing fantasy games with people in turn-based battling games. And you collect all these adorable little pocket monsters and you train them and you give them food and you take them to Pokemon centers and you try to become the best trainer that there ever was and win the Pokemon League and our hearts in the process. Right, of course. And so there, there are a couple of things about the, the cards now and the cards then that are really interesting to me. The first is that they are incredible pieces of art. They're like these fantastical creatures, but they all have an air of silliness about them. When you, when you think about other card games that I would call like one what I might call nerdy, think of Dungeons and Dragons and Magic the Gathering, mm-hmm. where there's a bit of a PG-13 rated R undercurrent to that. These are all kind of silly and fun. This is clearly like a game that families can play. And like, it's, it's more chill than other kind of darker, I mean, I want to say like 1990s college vibe, like Magic the Gathering and, and uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Like the, the, they're very pretty and fun to look at. And I think that that's a really fun part of it to me is that it's very approachable. Yeah, it's, it's really fun. I mean, if you just think of Pokemon as animals, then okay, well, who doesn't love pets? Mm-hmm. And it's a fantasy game, so the parents don't have to keep dishing out money to feed the pets. They don't have to walk the cards at 2 o'clock in the morning when they start scratching on the door. It's a really low-cost, uh, low barrier to entry, really. And uh, you're exactly right. There's something there you know, for everybody. Uh, right. So one of the interesting things about Pokemon is just how many there are. Uh, right now, there are 898 cataloged Pokemon in the Pokemon universe. Uh, but it didn't start out that way. As you and I know very well, 
there were originally 151 Pokemon released with Pokemon Red and Green and the subsequent card game that came along with. And that sounded like a lot as a kid at the time. And then years later, we're kind of cutting ahead a little bit here, but they came out with, ooh, a new set. We've gone to another region of this fantasy world, and all of a sudden there's like 100 more new Pokemon. Isn't this great? You get to explore new places and meet new friends all over again. And Pokemon has really mastered that formula. They release a bunch of new ones. They sell a bunch more cards. They open up new doors for franchising and new characters and TV shows. And they have eight generations of games now. And they uh, they really hit onto something. And theoretically, I don't really think there's a ceiling. I mean, people remember all kinds of information and catalog all kinds of stuff. I, mean, I don't think that having too many is going to be a big barrier to entry. Well, yeah. Okay, so it's it's time to start talking about like the the main point of the episode, which is the fact that this is a, is a market that's exploding. So, in my in my observation, there's a phenomenon that's happening among among millennials. You're welcome, which is nostalgia and and some affluence and kind of wasting money on stuff that is not necessary but is relevant to us, the individual. I just watched the documentary series about the Pappy Van Winkle heist. That was hilarious. Just people, and Pappy is not worth that much money, but it became worth that much money because it was relevant to those people. You see that? It's been the case with Burgundy Wines. But for us in this generation, it's like crap like vinyl records and Pokemon cards and things like that have tremendous value. That value, like Bitcoin, is just like skyrocketing and skyrocketing and skyrocketing based solely on this nostalgia thing. So we Forbes ranked the 10 most valuable cards. Like half of them are the most famous Pokemon and arguably overall in the history of the game, the best Pokemon, and that is Charizard. And that's going to lead us to our big conversation here, Chris. Is like, if I wanted to play, look, and if you're watching on YouTube, you can see Chris hold up our, like you and I each had a hollow one, if I recall, right? We still each have one. Is that, we both have one. Let's not get into the details Chris, of whether we do or Chris, don't have Charizard. So Chris, Chris. Whose fault it is or isn't. I will kill you. I'm sorry. I will, I'll kill you. I will kill you until you die. I'm glad we're recording okay. remotely. I have a Charizard that Chris is keeping safe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's visible on YouTube. He's the best card, and he, there are various versions of him that have been subsequently released that are also incredibly popular because they're Charizard. So here's the thing. If you wanted to be a nerd and play the game, you would have to have Charizards in your Pokemon deck. But if you wanted to collect them, most likely you're going to have want to have a couple of Charizards and you have a couple that are collectible. And if we wanted to play again, regardless of what set we played in, because they just keep different versions of him get re-released, you'd have to get a couple. So Chris, explain to me which cards are valuable not to do with the game and why. Yeah, so Charizard is a rare example of where the card is both really useful and really good if you're a competitive player of the game, but it's also incredibly valuable if you're just a collector. And it's for the reasons that you said. Charizard is an incredibly popular Pokemon. Uh, but there are some cards out there that are super cool. I mean, if you, if you buy into the whole Pokemon universe, you start to gravitate towards certain Pokemon over others. My fav my personal favorite is uh, Dragonite, which mm. he's cool as hell. He's super powerful. You kind of resemble Game him. Boy games. You resemble here's him. Here's a yeah. Here's a yeah. Here's like my Dragonite like he, right maybe here. He my boy could, he could oh. be tough, but he's getting a little plump. Yeah, you definitely resemble him. Uh, I've never been complimented more highly in my life. 
But the thing about Dragonite here is that he's a decent card. He's pretty good. Sure. He's got 100 hit points, which when he came out from the, with the Fossil Series in 1999, that was pretty high. He can do potentially up to 80 damage with one attack. So that's that's pretty good, all things considered. Uh, sure. So a decent card to play with. But Charizard can kill him in one move because yep. Charizard has this attack called Fire Spin. And as you can see right here, that does 101 go. So yep. Charizard's a better card to play with, but I like Dragonite better because I think the art is better. I just have more of a personal affinity for the Pokemon. And sure. this card happens to be in pretty good condition. I bought this from a collector uh, not too long ago. And it's just a quality item, and it captures a piece of, I guess, Americana, because it was released in the U.S., but really a worldwide cultural phenomenon in a specific time and place. And and it's remarkable how much power there is just in that, even though if I were playing today, I would never try to put a deck with you know, Dragonite in to try to win the game. I mean, that would just be you know playing with my heart. Well, or would you? And we'll talk about that in a moment as well, because I have cards that are the same way. I Some of these Pokemon I have always thought were silly and stupid, and some are kind of clever, but there are ones I'm really, really into. I fancy myself a bit of a brooding dark artist obviously mm. have here we have a podcast i mean like out of the cliches write themselves really so i do. like the psychic ones the purple ones um i also love birds so i love i love all of the bird ones ho and zapados and all of these and like the very mythical birds I, I like all of those so mm. those are important to me some of them end up being good some of them end up being bad i like the blue ones to play with because blue is defense and defense wins championships and so i didn't like charizard i like i liked blastoise which is another a uh, very famous card, but you're talking about like what you would put in a deck and what you wouldn't. This is what's fascinating to me. Pokemon was releasing new cards at kind of a slow pay, play, pace relative to Magic the Gathering, which was a concurrent trading card game owned and operated by Wizards of the Coast, similar to Pokemon. And Magic was releasing cards at a much, much faster pace. So Pokemon was releasing cards, but they weren't introducing a bunch of new Pokemon at the same time. And then something kind of weird happened in the middle there. I want to say like mid 2000s. It seems like they kind of hit a, a buzzsaw or ran out of money or something because cards stopped being released. And as a result of that, I don't know if everything was ever realized, but as you told me, they've always had many, many more Pokemon waiting in the wings to be released if they ever got the funding or whatever needed to happen. Well, they did. And those are coming out now. Yeah. So there's a specific reason why there seemed to be a lapse in the production of cards and it seemed like the fad was dying there for a little bit in the in the early mid 2000s. Uh, the reason for that is that production rights for Pokemon cards left Wizards of the Coast. So Wizards of the Coast is a company that produces Magic the Gathering cards. As far mm -hmm. as I know, they always have. And they were originally the company that published Pokemon cards and printed them out. Uh, and they had been doing that since 1996, uh, which was uh, their first publication in Japan. Uh, and in 2003, uh, the Pokemon company, which owns the ultimate IP for Pokemon, uh, transferred, the, or well, Nintendo transferred the rights to the Pokemon company. And so right. Nintendo said, okay, Wizards of the Coast, you're done with this. The Pokemon company is now going to be the publisher of the cards. And that happened in June 2003. And so at that point, you know, as kids, I didn't really understand. We, 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 didn't, we didn't really quite appreciate what it means for a company to stop making something. We thought, okay, well, you know, that's it. That's all the cards are ever going to be. And, you know, we had a fun run for a few years here, but there's right. not, not going to be anything else here. Well, 
as it turns out, the Pokemon company did a pretty good job in renewing interest, and they came out with several generations while we were growing up and thought we were too cool for things like collectibles. And by 2016, Pokemon cards were the top-selling toy in the subcategory of strategic card games. They were the top-selling in the world. In 2017, they had an 82% market share in Europe's strategic card game market. So as popular as Magic the Gathering is, as popular as Yu-Gi-Oh! was for a little while, Pokemon has endured for over a decade, and they survived transferring over from another company. And in, in that transfer, the cards kind of changed aesthetics. They tried some new things with you know some technologies where you can swipe a card now and read what it has on it. But mm-hmm. you know, a, a lot changed with that handover. I think a lot of it has been an improvement. Uh, gameplay is different now. Uh, but one effect that that had was it made all these cards that were published by Wizards of the Coast, all these older, more nostalgic cards, way more valuable because you're never going to get them again. Right. Right. So let's. I want to talk about that. So this is where we're going to split off from the nostalgic value part to the gameplay value part and the, get, explain like why card releases are important in different formats, as it's called. So Magic the Gathering has really figured it out and, and in terms of how to make money, and, and Pokemon is following suit in a lot of ways down to the to the words that are being used. So as new cards come out, naturally there's going to be big shifts in the strategic value of those cards. And we're seeing that a lot in Pokemon. And, and you've made this point when we've spoken. A lot of the Pokemon cards that we used to grow up with that were very badass cards would just get waxed today. Oh, uh, because the new cards are just many, many times more powerful and big and strong. And from a, from a gameplay standpoint, it's essentially like we were playing chess and now the new chess pieces are like all super queens and they can do all this other crazy stuff. So what's the point of doing this? Well, what Magic figured out was what you want to do when you have enough sets rotating in, you want to develop formats that involve different numbers of sets. And so Magic and Pokemon, they each have the, the, the same top set. That's called the standard game. So standard is a format that involves, I'm not 100% sure in Pokemon, I believe... Let's see, the 2021 season, the standard format, Sun and Moon, Black Star, uh, Hidden Fates, and Black and White. So there's like four or five sets that are relevant for the standard game. So if you want to play in an average tournament or at your local club or whatever on a Friday or whatever, you have these sets. That's what's legal. Then the next set is for Pokemon, they're using it. They're calling it the expanded format. In Magic, it's called the Modern Format. And then there are other formats after that. So what, what happens, Chris, is you get new cards in. That means the, the oldest set in the standard set of the game, that rotates out and the, the new cards take their place. But what rotates in, what Magic figured out was you want to have cards that would trigger things in older cards. I'll give you an example. Say there's a trainer that made... Charizard, which the original Charizard, which was great then, is now obsolete. Let's say there was a trainer. There he is again. What's up? <laughs> My Charizard. Hello. Mm. Let's say there was a trainer that made him super special in something new. And it was only relevant to like two or three cards, one of which was Charizard, one of which was Blaine's RK9. So what Magic figured out was if you accentuate the old stuff and make that card legal in the new set, you motivate people to be creative with their deck building and it becomes really fun. However, and this is where things get kind of sticky when they have a very elegant solution to this. Nobody can afford to get an original Charizard whether or not it's legal again, mm. right? It makes no sense. So what Magic did, and this is the brilliance of them, they would re- reissue Charizard in a very boring version of him 
that's only like worth 20 bucks, right? It's not this gorgeous, awesome thing that people want to collect. It's just a Charizard. It might as well be a piece of notebook paper that says HP, blah, 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 right? <clears throat> so if you have an OG Charizard and you want to play with it, good on you. That's awesome. You're an OG. You have your old shit. You can throw it down and people are impressed. But if you just want to play with a Charizard, it becomes not inaccessible. And to that you. sounds so awesome. I, I, I would love to do that. With some of these older it, cards, because I mean, it is you can sweet. There, there's all kinds of stuff that Pokemon can do. I mean, each one has their own special moves, and right. some of them have different effects when they interact with other Pokemon and different phases of the game, and all kinds of stuff. And so you could concoct some pretty fun, creative game mechanics together and put yourself exactly. together a nice little strategy. And that was one of the fun things about the game. And you know, th this is just going to make me sound like a crotchety old, you know, old man yells a <laughs> cloud. But now they've introduced. I like to call them gimmicks, but they've introduced some new mechanics to the game where there are new and different types of Pokemon that are only around temporarily, or they're more yep. worth more than regular Pokemon, or they combine abilities with some other ones. So just to just to illustrate kind of the breadth of, I guess, qualities, competitiveness of the cards that Pokemon has come out with since 1998... Uh, I'm going to show those of you on YouTube a card uh, from base set two. Uh, I think it was from the fossil set originally. Okay. Or no, I'm sorry. It was from the jungle set. It's a Pokemon called Execute. And the drawing there, as you can see, has got a bunch of little Executes there. It's an it egg. Eggs. Yeah. This Pokemon is an egg. It's an egg with a face. He's got the little anime eyes. He's yeah. got, a you know, what that determined little grin on his face. He, he's an egg. All right. And as you would expect, yep. he's not very good. I'm going to show you another card uh, from the current set. So there's eighth generation. We're in the eighth generation of Pokemon now with 898 Pokemon. Uh, and I'm about to show you a card from a set called Chilling Rain, which <laughs> is within the eighth generation, but it's its own thing. And it was released on June 18th of this year. So there's still okay, so just brand new, out. probably in stand. Yeah, I just, I just read it. Yeah. This card, Nick, I, I have trouble describing it. It's it's really just it's something else. It's dark. It's it evokes a sense of like magic and wonder, but also sheer terror. And then you know, the more I look at it, the more utterly bizarre it gets. This is the Pokemon known as Shadow Rider Calyrex V. First of all, huh. that name. Like, what are we supposed to make of that? But if you look at this, it's like a large-headed deer-like thing. Yeah. Mounted on the back of a black horse with a long purple mane. Like, my God. It looks like a it has 210 it looks like a, it looks like a uh, It can do something. It can add five damage counters on multiple Pokemon on your opponent's team. It, I mean, this thing is absolutely indestructible and would eat these eggs for lunch. Probably the horse did. But that, to me, just illustrates how crazy different things have had to become in Pokemon to try to keep things fresh, but also, you know, just the way the game has changed and, and how the process of winning uh, has evolved and introduced more mechanics over time. Right. So then that's what I'm talking about and why it's really interesting. So for example, when I started playing magic, I uh, first place my head goes as a, as a strategic nerd is like, how would Pokemon do this? Because the real fun of this is that if you've been around, like there's old cards, like I don't have to paint, I can just get some packs and they got the new stuff. But then you're like, so there's one cards like there, for example, there are a couple of magic cards that were really intricate to me when I was finally getting good enough to build decks and stuff. And then they rotate it out. So like you, the first thing you do is go find a solution for the, the style that you're comfortable playing with. So you go find the solution. And then 
with ro- what rotates in the 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 gods of the game, like the Pokemon people, they kind of decide the five or six options that you have. And that's going to be that. But some of those other cards, they trigger older stuff. And when they rotate old cards into new cards, what ends up happening is things... So Magic had the opposite problem where the old cards were just so powerful, it was kind of silly. So what they end up doing is to when they re-rotate stuff, they kind of dumb the old cards down. So they'll reintroduce an old card and they'll introduce like a, a sorcery instant or, or whatever that'll make it like really hard to play with it the way it was back then. So for example, in this instance, with Charizard, what you'd want to do is like, if you have any fire Pokemon with over 120 XP, then they all attacks cost two less damage or two less uh, energy cards. And at that point, you're like, well, holy shit, I'm motivated to put Charizards in here now because if, if other people's Pokemon are big and bad, I want mine to be fast. And so they, they create five or six options, and that's when it gets fun is when people attack each other. Now, I wanted to get into something else, and that's nerds hack this. They figure out the five or six best options, and very often in Magic, and this is going to happen in Pokemon if it hasn't happened already at the Elite level, the game gets solved. They find the three or four best cards, and if, if that happens, it's a nightmare for the average player because it jacks up the price of the card. So there are websites that rank the cost of cards, and this is where I was talking about the stock market, and those prices are based solely on their relevance in the game, and that's you know why it becomes inaccessible for people. Say if the nerds figure out that this execute two, this new execute, like you just said, like say the eggs are, I don't know, laid from a hoe or something. They're nuclear bombs. Nuclear bomb, yes, and they're cheap and they're really good cards. And Pokemon didn't see that coming when they built it. This stupid little card that should be like. $20 becomes, I think Magic, there was a card called Jace, and he became $200 per card. So to have a Jace deck, it was called something, it, it ran you $1,500. And if you weren't playing that, you couldn't beat it. That's crazy. Which makes it That's stupid, absolutely which is their bananas. fault. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, there's obviously trade-offs here to how to make the game maximally competitive, but also make it accessible to people. I mean, mm. this is a children's game, and you know, obviously all hobbies cost money. Well, almost all hobbies cost money. Hikers out there, like, no, stop it. Hiking I don't want to quote free. the comedian Eliza Schlesinger. We're like, what did she say? You can't say that your hobby's hiking because it's walking. It's walking. It, <laughs> I'm mad at myself <laughs> for even bringing that up. But this is a hobby that costs money. And, yeah. you know, it would be great to make it so that the wealthy don't just continue to dominate the competitive scene in addition to dominating the collector scene. Uh, it, it's just the unfortunate reality of the fact that things cost money. But, you know, here we are. Well, what's really interesting in my experience with Magic and same thing with Pokemon, Chris, is that the the kids will figure out. So unless the game is broken, like I mentioned earlier, the kids will figure it out. Uh, they will always figure out a solution. If you go to these websites, it's like, like, here's what the pros are playing. And these are budget versions. And they'll give you like, well, this card costs 250 So I'll give you an example of when we were playing, and I didn't know this. So Charizard is widely considered the best Pokemon He's not considered the best Pokemon card from what they're calling the retro game now. In uh-huh. Magic, they call it the legendary game. In Pokemon, they're calling it the retro game, which is base set, the base sets. Fossil, Rockets. Yeah, so that's, that's Generation 1. Real quick detour on Generation 1. That's okay. I, I mean, obviously, that has the highest nostalgia for anybody that you ask. It's what right. people came up with. It's Got it on the know, screen right now. Ash Ketchum and all this stuff. And the way they kind of did this was, it, it's kind of cool lore too. So they had this base set and they just issued a bunch of Pokemon. And it's like, wow, look, here's Pokemon. And then they did this little story where they're like, oh, 
what if there was a safari into the jungle and then they issued all these Pokemon that are kind of jungle exclusive. And so like, this is the jungle set. Like, oh, there's Pokemon here that are in the first generation, but you couldn't get them before because we hadn't gone to the safari. And then they did a fossil thing. They're like, oh, well, you know, one of the storylines from the game is the player finds fossil and there's a laboratory that has technology to bring the fossilized Pokemon back to life. And like, whoa, yeah. And so they made a whole big thing out of the fossil release and you know then they re-released that and had some other storylines later like they had a whole team rocket theme thing which team rockets the villains for those of you who have been living under a rock it, <laughs> but yeah i like that too like you, if you notice with like magic and halo is this way and like the witcher and things like it becomes its own mythology after a while and the gameplay there is and in magic it's called the metagame and i'm actually pretty sure at pokemon it's called the metagame too where you there are people who build decks specifically on maintaining their own personal storyline so, like, if you want to be a fire person, then you would, like, follow the Atch Ketchum storyline, and those mm-hmm. people will stay pretty consistent to building their decks, and people get a lot out of that kind of thing. But, um, like I was saying, Charizard is not the best card in the base set. <coughs> Gust of Wind is the best card in the base set. Is that your opinion, know that. or is that some kind of actual analysis? No. Uh, so, I, I'm reading this article, which is called Best Decks of Retro Pokemon, and so what they're saying is that Gust of Wind, and I didn't know this because you and I were children at the time. We didn't play at the highest level. Its nickname back in the day used to be Gust of Wind. Because <laughs> what you would happen is you would get it, and you would just sit on it until like it was getting really tight, and you'd throw that bad boy out there. You'd switch out a card, and you'd be like, all right, well, I'll, anni- I'll annihilate the little one. And I, but so this is what's really fun about the retro stuff, Chris, is that all of the nerds our age are completely just annihilating what they thought were the best decks in back in the day, right? So like they used to think that building a deck a certain way, it, was, it had to be Charizard versus Blastoise, and these are essentially, there are only a couple of options, but now they're breaking it down using like their analytic brains and their poker brains and chess and, and fantasy football, and they're like, actually, there are a lot of other options. There are a lot of things that could beat a lot of things. Having mm-hmm. four Charizards is not going to m- make you go undefeated, and that kind of that shit is, is fun for me. I really yeah. like deck. Deck building is the best part, obviously. Nick, I'm going to tell you a story one time. This one's for the Pokemon deep cut nerds so uh, if you don't like that i mean you can deal with it or you can skip ahead maybe we'll mark the timestamp in the show notes or something but this is the coolest thing i've ever seen so one of the ways that you can win in pokemon is that each player has to draw cards as part of the game mechanic they draw a card every turn and each player only has 60 cards in the deck and once a player can no longer draw a card if it's their turn and they don't have any cards left they lose that's it you know they've lost the game most games don't last that long they're you know you, you have you know 10, 20, 30 cards left in your deck before the game is finished. But I played a deck one time where this guy had this incredible concoction of Pokemon, and it was almost entirely based on Pokemon powers. So what he would do is get Mr. Mime out there. So the original Mr. Mime had a Pokemon power. He only had 40 hit points, but he had a Pokemon power that said if an attack would do more than 20 damage to this guy, it doesn't do anything. So you could you could blast him with a fire spin all day, but it would do nothing because that's just how this guy rolled. It wouldn't even do 20 damage. It would just do nothing. So what you can do then is this guy evolved an Alakazam on his bench, and he put down a bunch of Tentacools and a Chansey. Mm. So Tentacool has a Pokemon power that you can just take the card back into your hand at any time. Normally you can't do that. Normally it's in play, it's in play, and, you know, that's how it's going to go until it gets knocked out or whatever. But with Tentacle, you can just withdraw it. And when you do that, all the stuff that's associated with it, if it's, you know, paralyzed or asleep or whatever, or if it has damage on it, uh, that all goes away. So 
Alakazam has a Pokemon power where he can take damage from one Pokemon on your team and transfer it to any other Pokemon on your team. So this guy would force people to do no more than 20 damage at a time to his boy, Mr. Mime. Then he would use Alakazam to transfer that damage to Tentacool and take the Tentacool back into his hand. And it's like you've done nothing. And unless you had a gust of wind and could like pick off the Tentacools one at a time, you're not going to beat that. And he just like ran my deck dry. It was unbelievable. I was so pissed when I, I, we were like three or four turns in when I finally figured it out, but we had the whole rest of the game to play. And I just had to like, just watch in stunned silence. I was ne- I've never been more aggravated than just watching myself lose card after card. And I can do nothing because I didn't have gust of wind in my deck. Yeah. So let me ask you something. I don't know if, if Pokemon has had, has made this magic adjustment, but that, that's called the mill deck. I learned later as I got into magic and getting milled is essentially the most hopeless feeling ever. You basically just want to quit. You're like, all right, well, you got me that time. So magic is played best two out of three. And this is a concept I hope Pokemon adapts. They have something called a bench. And what the bench is, like, so you have your 60 card deck. If you're playing best two out of three on certified gameplay, which is technically a tournament, but basically it's just a bunch of bros getting together and playing cards. Mm. You play best two out of three because we're in America. Rock, paper, scissors episode, of course. Damn. Between game one and two. You can tap your bench, and you can, as long as you replace the cards, you can get new cards. So you have 60 cards. You can have 15 on your bench. So between game one and two, you can be like, well, that motherfucker milled me. So I'm going to tap out these big cards, and I'm going to put Gust of Wind and Bill and other shit. And it gets really fun. So then that guy who whooped your ass is like, having a mill deck in magic and I hope Pokemon, I hope Pokemon does this because it would have changed everything for me. That guy's like, well, I milled him. I got him. Now I'm going to take out these and put these in and become something completely different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's that would awesome. be pretty spectacular. It's pretty uh, fun. I don't know if that's in the future. For it should Pokemon. be. It as far as I can tell, some of these older cards are just obsolete. There's just nothing you can do about it. But I, I mean, hold your breath. So let's bring that up. I'm going to bring up the, uh, the article on the website. So this is from the Forbes article which ranked according to Forbes, which is apparently like anytime money is involved, they consider themselves a really important part of it. I don't know what God. the fuck that's about. Nah, it's really annoying. So this is the Forbes article about the top 10 most valuable Pokemon. And we see here at number 10, Chris, you can't see this. This is Charizard. What's it called? Stormfront Charizard. Oh, yeah. That one actually is crazy valuable. So Stormfront Charizard is a different version of original Charizard. It's worth $500, according to Forbes. Oh, But it's no. the same that mechanics That can't be the most gameplay, valuable one. Right? This is, ex- is it really? Oh, no, no, no. It's not 500 No. So the most, valuable, the most valuable card is Charizard Original First Edition. Is it? Do you want me to go through? You want me to count them down? Yeah, I do. All right, so we'll scroll through the thing. If you're watching on YouTube, this is Riveting Radio. So number 10 is Charizard Stormfront Charizard. This is the same as the original Charizard, but it's different art and it's from a different set. But it's the same as the original card, except for, and this is what I'm talking about, Chris, these little tweaks. Stormfront Charizard has uh, weakness from water times two. So is that double? So attacks do double. Is that more than normal weakness? Isn't normal weakness? No. So originally the way weakness worked was if a Pokemon attacks you with that weakness, it does double the damage. Then okay, they so later started weakness. doing stuff with like, okay, the resistance would like cut it in half or weakness would add 20 damage instead of multiplying. And right. they, they tried to get all cute with that. Yeah, that's probably what's going to end up happening. Okay, number two is the Aquapolis Lugia. Oh, Aquapolis so Lugia. Lugia. Hold on a sec. Do we have the Aquapolis Lugia? We do have that one. Yeah. 
That's number, which number is that? Nine? Nine. All right. That's not bad. Uh, actual retail value? $490. $3 more valuable than the Stormfront Charizard. That's not bad. Number eight, our second Charizard, Fire Red and Leaf Green Charizard EX, $500. Ooh. Our number seven, the original Charizard Holofoil, not first edition. <laughs> I'm seeing a theme here. Uh, number five, uh, Plasma Storm Charizard. Jesus. <laughs> number four, uh, base set Shadowless Blastoise. Shadowless Blastoise. Nick, you want to explain what the shadow is? Uh, no, you had to explain to me. I didn't understand it. <laughs> All right, I'll, ex- I'll see if I, I'll see if I can. Because this is going to be a thing. We, We're going to we talk actually, about how much these I things go for right in a here. second. So, Shadowless is a, a factory defect. Uh, okay. The way these cards work is like here. I'll show you. I'll show you a promo Pikachu from the Pokemon Snap Nintendo sixty four game. Okay, so for right. those of you who are looking on YouTube right now, if you look here on this side of the card where the promo signal is, see that like there's like a shadow behind the box. There's a shadow, yeah. So it makes it look three D, right? You see that? Yeah, it makes it look three D. Well, in the base set, this is the only set that this is true for. There was a factory like a misprint, like a mistake where it just didn't get printed. Uh, and it also made the hit points that are normally kind of like a thick red thing. It looks like, you know, you unbolted it or something. And you yeah. can see that right here oh, wow. in this Machoke. So there's there's nothing there. I think we also have a Ponyta where there's none, right? And just, yep. just for a direct comparison, I'll show you a Machoke with it. So this one has it, has the drop shadow back there, but this one does not. Right, so that's that, really that's funny. I remember we had more than that. It's, it's a Machoke, so I don't think it's worth a shit, but... You know. Yeah, we had more than that. I very remember being like feeling gypped and being like, "What the fuck is this? Is this what what is going on?" I did not like the shadowless, and I like, "Oh well, hey, those are a boo boo, and now they're worth a lot of money. Yeah. They're worth a ton of money, and we'll talk about that in a second. Let's get back to our list. Blastoise number four. Number three is a card I'm unaware of. It's a colorless called Rayquaza. Oh, Rayquaza! Yes, Rayquaza was one of the legendary Pokemon from Generation Three. Those of you who mm. played the Ruby, Sapphire, and uh, Emerald Game Boy games for Game Boy Advance uh, SD. Uh, Rayquaza controls the weather. He can just do whatever uh. he wants with the weather. So hurricane outside, it's his fault. Nice sunny day, you're welcome. And I don't know why he wouldn't just have nice weather all the time. I don't know why he wouldn't try to help people, but <laughs> he does what he wants. Number two, Dragonfire Frontiers Charizard. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the black Charizard, the darkness Charizard. And then number one is the original Charizard. So that's, for those of you counting at home, I think six of the top ten. Unbelievable. Un, unbelievable. He's truly in a league so, of his own. He, yeah, and I, it's, it's, he's one of only two who are mentioned in popular culture. If you notice, you ever watch TV, I, I don't know who does it. I, I want to say 30 Rock has talked about Charizard. Probably. People say either Pikachu or Charizard, but Pikachu sounds dorky and stupid, so they say Charizard to make it look like they're paying attention. But Pikachu's fun. Look, here's a surfing Pikachu. Oh, there he is. He's on a surfboard. Look at that. That is really cool. Yeah. Pikachu Pikachu is is really fun. So, Chris, the question, I guess, we got to answer, like, what do you... I'm not as into collecting now that they're... I'm into holding on to what we have. Yep. You seem to be more into collecting. I think that I would tap into going back for, for retro gameplay and buying crappy versions of all the cards to play the retro style. Oh, yeah. Well, actually, you're in luck. Uh, I'm not being paid to plug this, but PokeCon is going on in Baltimore. So those of you who are on the East Coast, 
Nope. Love you. Not going to Baltimore. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> I'm going to do it. It's on September 26th in Baltimore, uh, PokeCon. Uh, oh, they have a contest for a $20 entry fee. You can play base set only Pokemon battles, double elimination tournament style. So you're guaranteed two games. Uh, and the prizes are cards. And uh, I don't know if, the, I don't think they're like, you know, the most valuable cards in the world or whatever, but it could be a fun thing to do. And they're also doing one uh, that's up to and including the fossil set. Uh, oh, cool. I tried to go to the website for this PokeCon and it didn't come up. Uh, which makes me think maybe the Instagram, like the media team got ahead of the real team on this one, or maybe it's going to be like a fire fest, but who knows? The Regardless, real team. I'm going to go because I want to go talk about my original Pokemon cards and I want to play the game. You think that these people had their shit together enough to have a real team build a website? I mean, they are Pokemon card collectors. So uh-huh. if, if we're any indication, they're in trouble. Absolutely. So Chris, we got some cool stuff coming up uh, later this year. We're going to talk about how the state of Wyoming one of the first places on planet Earth to have elected women damn right. women voters ever. Just crazy. We're going to talk about that. Also, we're going to we're going to mix in a little true crime here or there. Because game theory and true crime. I'm starting to get fascinated by these uh, psychopaths and narcissists. It's getting, it's getting uh, Netflix wormholes getting deep for me. Deep, dark, scary, fun. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about that too, Nick. Kind of like Charizard, if you say so myself. Depends on who you ask.